Welcome to another episode of National Energy Talk. I'm Mark Stansbury. Today I have with me our producer, Josh, who's going to help me go through some questions that have been directed quite some time so that I can answer those questions about energy issues and views. Okay, thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. I'm going to start us off with a question about the podcast itself. What do you hope to accomplish with this National Energy Talk podcast? Well, Josh, you know, through the years, I, I guess it starts really back around uh, 1981. I was involved with what was called American Energy Week. I was chair of a steering committee. And I looked back at that time, you know, really we were talking to each other. Uh, we wound up, when I say talking to each other, if you're in the oil and gas or energy industry, we we were talking to each other at conferences and events, and, and I looked at back in, in 1981, if you looked at the, at the program, it was all energy, and not really those out in the communities uh, that were part of the Energy Week. And then in 1992, I began a conference called the International Energy Policy Conference, and during that conference for the last 20-plus years, uh, we were really talking to each other again. You know, we have speakers come from all over the world, in fact, talking about energy issues. It'd be printed up in the, the local papers, even nationally, internationally as well, uh, about what went on at the conference. But those who would read it primarily would be probably those from oil and gas or energy sectors. And so I thought we need to be talking to not only those that are in the energy industry, we need to be talking to each other when because energy impacts all of us. It impacts uh, consumers and students, stakeholders uh, throughout the world. Uh, When you think about agricultural issues, or you think about uh, education and so forth, hospitals, nothing moves without energy. And so if we talk about it and have a dialogue, first of all, education will be in the forefront. We'll know uh, about issues that confront all of us. Uh, We'll know factual issues, and factual is something that we, you know, we want to be sure that we're on this show and, and as well as um, to the public, anytime we're talking about energy issues, we want to be factual and give projections and, and ideas about our future. And so anyway, it wound up that in 1981 and then 1992, we had all the dialogue among ourselves. And so around 2017, I discussed how we could go to the next level, and that is talking to the public, bringing others that are interested parties to the table, National Energy Talk, a a dialogue uh, that we hope to have and questions we can answer and bring on speakers through this National Energy Talk, not just at a conference, but on a podcast, through blogs, uh, through conferences, speeches, how we can interact with each other. In fact, uh, we have a Facebook uh, that you can go to Facebook National Energy Talk and sign up. I uh, hope you will. Uh, we have around twenty-two thousand or so that uh, are are likes followers. Please go to that and become a part of the dialogue National Energy Talk. Uh, we're looking at solutions. We're looking at issues that are going to be decades ahead. Making plans for our energy future. In fact, America needs America's energy. Creating together the people's energy plan. Okay. Next question. Let's just hear a little bit about your story. How did you get involved in the oil and gas and the energy industry? Back in, uh, well, I was 13 years old when I first heard anything about energy. It was, uh, that I can remember anyway, it was, it was uh, a natural gas well that was completed in uh, Elk City, Oklahoma, my hometown. I was going to school in Elk City and 
he was the talk of the town and a lot of uh, a lot of people were talking about it even at my age uh, talking about this natural gas well that was uh, four to five miles deep uh, in depth that is and uh, and and uh, this well came in commercially uh, produced and there was a gentleman his name was Robert A Hefner the third who led a company called GHK and uh, he had this idea and this concept that there was natural gas deep several miles below the surface uh, that could be produced commercially. And a lot of those uh, in the oil and gas industry said, no way, that can't happen. Uh, they, didn't really thought, they didn't really think that that would possibly be feasible. But here was Robert Hefner uh, taking this uh, leap uh, to drill a, a deep natural gas well called the Green Well, which was a successful well. Uh, again, that was 1969. I was 13 years old, and it was the talk of the town and, and talk of western Oklahoma that here a, a deep gas well was producing. Well, uh, a few years later, we were named, uh, I think by our own uh, area, that is, uh, Elk City, natural gas capital of the world. So I was uh, joining Key Club. One of the first things I did in the Key Club was to hand out decals that said that. Elk City Natural Gas Capital of the World. And we went around town, and we were very excited about this. Well, it's interesting, uh, Josh, you know, I, I didn't know much about energy uh, or oil and gas, really, even though I was from the, a community that was very active that way. And so it was around my uh, senior year in high school, I got interested in wanting to go, that is, to Washington, D.C. I thought, that's that would be great if I could become a, an intern or a staffer in Washington, D.C. And so it wound up, I got the opportunity through a friend, a mentor of mine, his name was Cooper West, and I talked to Cooper about it one day, and he said, you know, I have a friend of mine that's a U.S. Senator up in D.C. His name's Dewey Bartlett. And I'll reach out to him, and you'll have to talk to him about this, but he, I think that it would be a great opportunity, at least to discuss it with him about the future. Well, it wasn't too long that I got this call and opportunity to work as an intern, um, moving in the summer of, uh, of 1975 up to uh, Arlington, Virginia for summer to work for Dewey F. Bartlett. He was a former governor of Oklahoma, and he was a U.S. senator at the time, and it was very exciting. And uh, one of the, one of the projects uh, I I actually worked on several projects of research, you know, from issues we face today, for example, gun control, um, and other issues like that, and then energy. And it wound up I did some research on energy and natural gas, and again I I wasn't that knowledgeable by any means on oil and gas or energy, but he had me um, do some research with a team to prepare for a speech that he was going to give. And this was going to be in, in uh, Oslo, Norway. And it, the speech was going to be presented to OPEC. Well, not only did I know, not know a whole lot about natural gas or oil, or, and I sure didn't know a whole lot about OPEC. But if you remember around that 73, 74 time era, there was the uh, OPEC situation, an embargo that faced our nation. And then in 75 here, Dewey Bartlett was addressing uh, addressing that issue about OPEC. Uh, and, and so I, I did the research. I got interested. And uh, the gentleman I mentioned that introduced me to, to Dewey Bartlett, his name Cooper West, he uh, 
he was in the oil and gas business of all things, uh, real estate and other ventures. And so I got in, interested when I got back. I thought, I, I want to talk to Cooper. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, I had the opportunity to, to work for Cooper. And there's a, there's a story behind that because Cooper, again, as a mentor, introduced me to El Paso Natural Gas to become a landman, to move to El Paso and go through the training down there. He said, if you're going to be in the oil and gas business, this would be a great start. And I was engaged at the time uh, to Nancy, and uh, it was it was uh, something that I thought about seriously, about going down there. And so I, I was ready to accept. And about the time I was getting ready to accept, uh, he said, well, I can use you here in your hometown of Elk City if you want to be a landman here and be trained here and work for me. Well, that opportunity came along. And so in the uh, June 1st, of 1977, I started into the oil and gas business uh, and have been involved ever since. So over 44 years in the oil and gas industry, and it's been quite a journey. It has, and it's neat about the full circle of that. Uh, Mark, I want to remind people, if they haven't listened to the most recent episode before this one, they can hear you talk to Senator Bartlett's son, Dewey F. Bartlett Jr., and tell a little bit more of that story. Uh, okay, next question. Do you plan to write another energy-related book? You've written several. Tell us what your plans are. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, I w- this next uh, fall, not this coming fall, but the fall of, of 2022, I plan to have a, a book, another edition, on America Needs America's Energy. And uh, so I have a, a year ahead to get this compiled and, and get it to the readers. Uh, there's there's five energy books that I've written. Now, the first book uh, was in 1991. It was Acquisition Process and Due Diligence, Minimize Risk, Maximize Return. We'd gone through uh, the exploration side, the oil and gas exploration, back in 1977 to around 1988 or so. And so we were drilling wells and exploring for oil and gas. And then we have different... Um, booms and busts in our history of the oil and gas industry. Uh, we had a bust and, you know, what was going to be next? And it wound up, what was next was um, the uh, mergers and acquisitions, and mergers and acquisitions became uh, the way to to survive in the oil and gas industry. So I wound up getting involved that way and wrote a book with a friend of mine, Michael uh, McGinnis. Uh, he was working for Atlantic Richfield, Atlantic Richfield at the time, ARCO. And so we wound up writing this book, got on the uh, speaking circuit and traveled the country in 1992. And that's how the first book got started in 1991. It was several years later, many years later, actually, that then I wrote another book um, called The Breaking Point, B-R-A-K-I-N-G. And why I called it The Breaking Point, uh, you know, I had different ones say, hey, you don't need to spell it that way. Nobody's going to understand. Well, I thought, they need to understand that we're at a stopping point. We're at a, the breaking point in our uh, oil and gas history, energy history. We need to reevaluate where we are, what we need to do when it comes to global realities and economic realities, and look at the future. And so it was uh, that book, and a supplement to that book, we ha- had a, another uh, book that came out uh, in 2012, uh, and that book uh, 
wound up um, being America Needs America's Energy, cre- creating together the People's Energy Plan. Uh, that's the book that uh, I'm going to be um, writing another edition to. And then there was two other books uh, after that that were uh, energy issues and views based upon uh, columns and blogs that I had uh, through 2013 through around 2015. So I look forward to this and look forward to the opportunity to get the message out. Uh, we're facing uh, tremendous issues before us that we need to face when it comes to uh, striving, what I call a theme that I have. It's called striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation. Uh, that's the challenge we have. How do we find that balance? Because all of us need energy. Nothing moves without energy. But we've got to maintain our envir- environmental balance as well. I do want to mention now, because you mentioned this, Josh, about uh, Dewey, uh, Dewey Bartlett's son, uh, who was a former mayor of Tulsa and president of Keener Oil uh, on the last episode. Uh, before that, our first episode was with R- Rebecca Ponton, editor-in-chief of uh, Oil Woman Magazine, and uh, she's a journalist and uh, landman and uh, has a great experience when it comes to uh, energy education, and uh, she uh, uh, was in our first full-length episode, doing our second, and I look forward to having uh, this podcast uh, for listeners throughout not only our, our United States, but throughout the world, participate in National Energy Talk. Okay. Well, we've kind of turned the page to, to uh, think about international things, uh, people around the world. So, Talk about some international energy issues, OPEC specifically. Uh, what what are your thoughts on OPEC currently? Is it a threat? Well, I mentioned earlier about 1973 through 74 that we had the oil and gas embargo. Um, that slowed us down quite a bit, and we saw that OPEC was uh, definitely in charge at that point in as far as uh, the percentage of, of oil being exported and so forth. It continued to increase under OPEC. Uh, and we were we would suffer or be at least uh, in, in the sights of OPEC, uh, and, and not in a good way when it comes to production. So, are they a threat? Um, you know, it was only a few years ago that we were, or a year or so ago now, that we became a net uh, exporter for the first time. We're now a net importer. Uh, we definitely need to find a, a balance between countries. Uh, we want to be a leader. Uh, do we want to dominate or do we want to work together? And of course, the, the answer to that is we definitely want to work together. So if there's a way for OPEC plus and uh, the U.S. to work closer together, it's great. It doesn't seem to always work that way at this point. Maybe someday it will because uh, having an alliance together and working together for uh, the energy efficiency and environmental pre- preservation I've talked about would be great. It's not that way right now. Uh, we, we don't want them to be a threat. Um, we really don't want to be a threat to others either. So it's finding that common, common ground of how to work together. Um, if we can find that balance, we can have affordable energy. Uh, we can have a better environment. And so, uh, today they appear, um, that they're, they're definitely working at, uh, finding that balance of, of, uh, a price that we can all work with. We'll see what happens, um, but uh, right now, it, it's a it's a challenge for us because of what we've gone through in the last twelve to eighteen months, as far as our economy, 
Uh, we need affordable energy. We need reliable energy. Uh, we must maintain a, a balance. Uh, so OPEC is definitely in our sights as far as hoping that they will not uh, become a threat, that we work, work together. Tell me about what you believe is the future of the oil and gas industry and even other forms of energy. Maybe we can hit hydrogen specifically. Well, in, in uh, 2012, uh, a documentary came out uh, that I produced with Gray Fredrickson and Maylee Hefner. It's called The Get, The Grand Energy Transition. Uh, in that documentary, based on a book uh, by Robert Hefner called The Grand Energy Transition, it talked about uh, you know, how we all began in the energy industry uh, many years ago. In fact, even before the oil, there was, there was a wood and you name it uh, before we got to oil. And then there was natural gas and then on and on. Um, hydrogen is something that we're looking at for hydrogen future, uh, hydrogen economy. That was part of the film. It was produced uh, along with uh, support, uh, funding support from Aubrey McClendon, Ted Turner, Boone Pickens. And the, the thing that we were looking for at the time is, is how we can have an oil and gas industry uh, survive, but also a transition to occur at the same time. Uh, not an easy task, as you can see today in the political realm. Um, it's hard to find, again, what I call a balance. And that is, uh, we definitely use natural gas uh, and oil to heat our homes, uh, for jet fuel, for fertilizers, for petrochemicals, and there's thousands of products, uh, petrochemicals that are used. And at the same time, we have an environmental issue, and that is uh, climate change and carbon, uh, the carbon issue that's before us as far as a carbon footprint. And how can we find, uh, find the answers to how to um, cut back on methane emissions, how we can uh, have carbon sequestration at the forefront. And I believe we can find that, the answers to that. I, I see that uh, there are several companies that are, are, are working that direction as far as uh, spending millions and millions of dollars on research of how to continue to use oil and gas, but in an efficient way and effective way. It's going to take some time, quite some time, to transition from the oil and gas into the next, next transition, uh, electric vehicles, hydrogen economy, and so forth. There's about 1.5 billion uh, vehicles, around 100 million uh, vehicles sold per year. If those uh, statistics are close to being correct, we're looking at a, a small percentage right now on the transition on electric vehicles and so forth. If you extrapolate that out, it is looking more like 20 to 30 years before we can get to the, to the end of really being the next, the next fuel for transportation, for power generation, and so forth. That doesn't mean we don't begin. doesn't mean we start not looking at the answers because that's, that's, that's important as well. And I think that we're seeing that the public demands that we definitely look at our, all our alternatives and our options. And I think uh, from what I'm seeing, a lot of the oil and gas companies are stepping forward and saying, yes, we understand. Uh, we're going to try to cut back on the carbon footprint. We're going to try to definitely be part of the answers ahead. 
with that said, we're going to be dependent uh, some for some time, uh, maybe less and less as years go by. But uh, oil and gas is still a, a very vital part of our industry. Thank you for joining us on National Energy Talk for part one of a Q&A session. I've really enjoyed answering questions that have been presented to me. Stay tuned for part two National Energy Talk Q&A upcoming.